0: You know, as Christians, we recognize the crucifixion as one of the most important things that happened in the history of the earth. I would say it was one of the most important because I don't think the crucifixion was the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the earth. Jesus rising from the dead was the most important thing that ever happened in the history of the earth. And the reason why is because Jesus' death was actually just a part of the solution, it didn't finish what God accomplished to do. His death was necessary. We have to have the penalty for our sins be paid for. That's true because we can't pay it ourselves. It was forgiveness was necessary for us. But his life, his resurrection was actually necessary for us to live. And it takes two parts. We have to be forgiven. But if that's all it was, it just wouldn't be enough because we wouldn't be freed from all the things that we were in bondage to before. Romans 7, 14 through 15 says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. See, when we're under the law, we, we couldn't live the life that God called us to live because we weren't actually free from sin. It was just trying to, to, it was a band-aid on the symptoms, trying to take care of what had already happened, but it didn't make a way for our future. The law only gave us a guideline or a plumb line as to how we were supposed to live. But instead of enabling us to live that way, all it did was show us that we couldn't do it on our own. His life, his resurrection from the dead is actually what allows us to live and be able to meet that standard. Because he places his life inside of us. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. It allows us to live the life that he's called us to live. Because if we don't have something put in after sin was taken out, after we were everything was paid for, we get kind of put in a mess. Matthew twelve forty three through 45 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it'll be with this evil generation. You know, you can clean up your life all you want. You can live as perfectly as you can try to live, but it'll never clean out the inside. There'll still be a problem. All you're doing is making room for more stuff to move back in if you don't fill it with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the story of the mason jar. Anybody ever... Jarred vegetables or jam or any of that kind of stuff. I've seen it done. I've never done it I have a grocery store, but uh I've seen it done and i've seen how it works out and what they do is they take the jars And what they have to do is they have to clean them and purify them Because how I many you know if you take a dirty jar and you put stuff in it, it doesn't matter how Tight you seal the lid if there's junk inside of it. It's just gonna uh, Get gross basically and that's kind of what Jesus' death did. He took us like a mason jar, and he purified us, and he cleaned us, and he made us ready. But just like the, the person uh, jarring jam, they don't leave it that way. They fill it with something else, and then they seal it up. That's what his life does for us. We're cleaned and we're purified, but then his life comes inside of us, and it fills up, us up so that we're able to live the way that he intended us to live. And many of us, many Christians across the world, we take the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ based on faith alone. And I want you to know from a personal level, that is perfectly fine to, to put your trust in Jesus without any other evidence other than your personal experience. I know for me, you know, when people want to tell me that Jesus isn't real, or when they ask, how do you know something happened when you got saved? How do you know that you're any different? I can tell them, I was there. I know what happened inside of me. I know that I'm not the same man that I used to be. And they can say, well, well, maybe you're just trying to live a better life. I did that for 20 years. I failed over and over and over trying to live by the guidelines in the Bible because I, I knew they were right, and we all know that they're right. That's why there's a such thing as objective morality. Everybody knows what's right and wrong because we have a creator that wrote, wrote it on our hearts. But I couldn't live up to it. I kept trying over and over. And when I was in the mood of trying in sections of my life, when I was trying to do the right thing, I would try to live and try to do what God wanted me to do. And then I would go to bed every night and pray and just lay out my laundry list of sins. God, forgive me for this, 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 and this. And then I would get up the next morning and I'd do them all over again. And it wasn't until I latched on to Jesus and I let him come live inside of me that I finally accepted him as my Lord and Savior and began to live what salvation actually is not just being forgiven, but having a brand new life inside of you, that's when my life changed. And you don't have to go that far. You can just ask my mom and my sister if they think that I'm different, who I used to be. But I want you to know that while that's perfectly fine for your own personal life, there's going to be times when people are going to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe in just a myth? Why do you believe in just a fairy tale? So when you're with your coworkers who aren't believers, because it's well and good for me to say to you, who also believe that this is why we believe we're in agreement. But what about someone who doesn't believe? They don't have that experience. How do you tell them that, no, this, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a myth. There's, this, this is real. Do you have the answer for them? Can you show them the evidence? Because there's going to be times when our coworkers, our friends, people that we don't know, they're going to ask those questions. Don't you know nobody rises from the dead? That's just a myth. Don't you know that miracles can't happen? That's just, that's just made up. Do we have an answer? What will we say? That's why I've titled the message this morning, More Than a Story, because it is more than a story. Today, we're going to take some time, and we won't be able to look at all of it because we don't have that kind of time. But we're going to look at a lot of the historical evidence of the re- resurrection. And I want you to know the historical evidence and the eyewitness testimony and all this. It is very weighty. It is very substantial. It's not something that's just a myth. It's not just a a legend. This is substantial. And I think it would uphold in any court of law. Amen. Let's we'll start. Take a look at that today. First, we're going to start in First Peter. Chapter one, verse three, because before we look at the evidence, I think we should know why it's, it's even worth bothering. Why should we look at the evidence? I mean, what does it matter if Jesus resurrected, if it has no importance in the life of a Christian anyway? So first Peter one, three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, you weren't born again because Jesus died. You were born again because you died with him and then you rise, rose again to newness of life because as the kid said, he has done what he came to done.
1: It's funny, you know, we we laugh at these kids.
0: But how many of us could make a case for the resurrection? And how much... Would it sound any different than theirs? You might have the details of the Bible right, but could you make your case? Because here's the thing. I think we should be able to make a case for the resurrection because the resurrection is essential for us to be Christians. It is essential for us to be born again. It is, it is the resurrected life that we possess. It's what actually makes us Christians because our old life died with him and we have a new one that rose with him. I like what verse 23 says about being born again, particularly how the New Living Translation translates it. It says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end, but your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. Your new life is eternal because it is grounded in Him. And our hope is living. It calls it a living hope. By the way, this is the verse that our church is named after. Living Hope Family Church. It says, but this, this hope is living. It's, it's because it's grounded in the Word of God. If it wasn't grounded in the Word of God, it would just be a, a pipe dream. It would have no substance. But it, our hope, it doesn't pass and fade like the hopes of this world. You've heard me say it before. So many times we wake up and we say, we hope it rains. That doesn't mean we know 100% for sure it's going to rain. That means that we would like it to rain. A lot. But biblical hope is different because it's founded on something that is sure. Biblical hope is not a, I, I hope we're born again. I hope that he rose from the dead. It's something founded on something sure. And here living means that a believer's hope is sure, certain, and it's real as opposed to being deceptive, empty, or a false hope of the world. You know, I believe that we can know that we're saved. We don't have to to, to hope and, you know, We'll see how it turns out in the end, because our hope is sure. And see, Paul even explains to us why the resurrection is so important here in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, even back then where people were saying, you're crazy, there is no resurrection from the dead. But he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not yet been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The thing is, without the resurrection, we are lost. Without it, Christianity is nothing. It is the pinnacle of our faith. It's the whole reason that we believe. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're to be pitied because our hope is based in something that's not real, that's false. And the truth is, there's nothing for us. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then Christianity is just about making you feel good until you die. But because of his resurrection, we've been raised with him in newness of life, and his resurrection was the proof that he is who he said he was. It was the proof. It was God giving his approval of what he did. It was God giving his approval for the completeness of, of of paying the penalty for our sin. It was God giving his approval that he was his son. And when he got up and he sat down at the right hand of the father, he said, it is finished. It is completely taken care of. And the truth is, is that every single one of us in this room are going to be raised one day when he returns. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle in the eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we shall be changed. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then that can't happen either. And we just stay in the ground. And life is just about now. But Paul's making the argument that if our faith or if the resurrection does not happen, then our faith is worthless. What's the point of believing if it didn't really happen? See, that's the thing about Christianity. People say that it's, it, uh, Christianity is about blind faith. And they say, you shouldn't have blind faith. And the truth is, I agree with them. I don't think you should have blind faith. But the good news is, is we don't have a blind faith. matter of fact, the evidence is overwhelming. And when you put your faith in something where the evidence is overwhelming, then it's not blind. Matter of fact, it's the wisest thing you can do. Like uh, Pastor Joseph said this morning as he was doing the offering, he said, you know, the most reasonable conclusion that you can come to when you hear about Jesus is to place your faith in him. It's the most reasonable conclusion you can come to. You see, Christians aren't unreasonable. Christians aren't crazy. They've actually made a calculated and reasoned decision. But Paul says that if, there is no resurrection, then your faith is worthless and you should be pitied. Church, I don't think we should be pitied. because we have an amazing hope. And because of the resurrection, we have that hope. A guy named Philip Yancey, and he was describing the funeral customs conducted by African Muslims. And this is what he said. He says, close family and friends circle the casket and quietly gaze at the corpse. No singing, no flowers, no tears, A peppermint candy is passed to everyone at a signal. And at a signal, each one puts the candy in his or her mouth. And when the candy is gone, each participant is reminded that life for this person is over. They believe that life simply dissolves. No eternal life,
1: no hope.
0: And that's the thing. There are so many people that say that the resurrection never happened. And if it never happened, we're in that same same boat. And if this was all a ruse, if the resurrection was all a hoax,
1: then we're in trouble, just like Paul said. But
0: the thing is, is there's evidence that the resurrection actually happened. And as a Christian, you don't have to take the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on blind faith, because the evidence stacks up. It is weighty, and it is reasonable to believe that this actually happened. So let's start taking a look at some of that evidence. In Mark fifteen forty two through 45, it says, When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected mem- member of the council, of the Sanhedrin, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate. i got to tell you something funny. For years, probably up until about two years ago, every time I read this, I said, Pilate. I couldn't figure out why nobody talked about Pilate, just me. How would you spell Pilate like that? Anyway, he says, God took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And while Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have al- was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and-, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. First thing I'm going to mention very briefly in passing is this here about Joseph of Arimathea who who uh, put Jesus in a tomb, many people will argue, and i won 't spend too much time on this, but many people argue that that uh, when criminals were were hung on the cross, they just buried them in random tombs right there by the right there by where they were they were hung on the cross and if that 's the case, if Jesus was put in a random tomb, then then how would anybody know where Jesus was? How could they go to find an empty tomb if nobody knew where he actually was but every single account historically, not even just uh, uh, Christian accounts like the Bible, but secular accounts there 's no other option even offered for an alternative burial than than what happened here than the biblical account Joseph of Arimathea putting him in a tomb. There's no other account. There's not a competing account. All the evidence, very very old evidence, even uh, textual evidence, is just like three years after the death of Jesus. All point to this is happening. What they say is when something is is recorded very very early, it's very very unlikely that it's a false story typically legends are written hundreds 150 years after what had happened matter of fact there is actually one other story that's just like jesus matter of fact if you read what this guy did and i, I apologize i forget his name um because i wasn't going to talk about it today but they <laughs> they uh if you follow what this guy did and you just read his speech you would go oh that's, they're talking about jesus but no it's some other guy But the difference is there's only one source that talks about him, and it was written 150 years after his death. That's when it becomes legend. That's when it becomes stuff that you can't trust. But the stuff that they're writing here and also outside uh, written sources of this same age, they all say the same thing. So one, that Joseph buried him. They knew where he was buried. It was a tomb set aside for him that Joseph had made. But then there are also some others that claim, that was a side note, we're not even supposed to talk about that today, but there's also some that claim that Jesus didn't really die. Has anybody ever heard that, oh, he didn't really die? He just swooned. I love that word. He swooned. Who made up that word? They say that Jesus just passed out because he was in a rough space. He didn't actually die.
1: But here's the thing. Mark says
0: that Pilate checked. Because he was surprised that he was already dead. Why was he surprised that he was already dead? Well, uh, crucifixion was not a pleasant ordeal to go through. Oftentimes, it would take two or three days for people to die. Well, Jesus, it didn't take two or three days. As a matter of fact, all accounts say that he was probably only on the cross for about six hours um, before he died. Well, compared to others who who were on it for days and days. Um, but that they this says Pilate was shocked. He says he was surprised to hear that he should have already died. So he summoned the centurion and he asked him whether he was already dead. How many of you guys know that Roman soldiers were pretty good at their job? How many of you know that they knew when somebody was dead? That was their job, to make sure people were dead oftentimes. You see, they checked. And I don't think this centurion, who was actually high-ranking in the Roman army, he was, he was head over 100 soldiers. He wasn't just some, some grunt that just started a few weeks ago. He's been around. And they went and checked. Jesus was dead. But there's more evidence than that they just checked because you've got to think about what Jesus actually went through when he was making his way to be hung on the cross. One, Roman floggings were extremely brutal. The whip had iron balls tied a few inches from the end of each leather thong on the whip. Sometimes sharp sheep bones would be tied near the ends. And the iron balls, they would cause severe and deep bruising, and the leather thongs would then cut into the skin. And the sheep bone would actually hasten the process of that as it's ripping the skin apart. And after a few lashes, the skin would have been completely cut through, lashed through. The muscles would then begin to be cut blood loss was considerable they say that Jesus likely had his inside showing quite well because he would have been torn apart by the by the uh the the, the the flogging that happened you see that's the thing we have tv shows that demonstrate it probably the closest was the passion of the christ and it doesn't even come close to what he actually went through. and that was awful to watch i've seen it once i don't intend on watching it again blood loss would have been considerable with what he was going through. And the pain would have probably put him into a, a state of shock. Between the blood loss and the pain, he would have been in shock. And his body would have begun shutting down. But the argument is, no, he just passed out and then he snuck out on his own. Because on top of this, he had to carry his cross as well after he got blocked. He's making him carry his cross. This, this beam was probably 75 to 125 pounds. His hands are tied to it. You remember when it said Jesus was was walking and he fell? What's your first instinct when you fall? You put your hands down. You know what happens when your hands are tied to a bean? He fell with 75 to 125 pounds on his back, face first into the ground. He couldn't carry it anymore. So they had Simon carry it. And then he was nailed to a cross. And when they do that, they, they probably run the nail. Right through his wrist, right here. It's going to hit. There's a major nerve right there that causes excruciating pain. Same thing with his feet. It would have went right through a nerve and caused excruciating pain. But between all this that happened to him, the idea that maybe he just passed out and woke up later and walked out of the tomb is just absurd to me. There's no evidence that that could have possibly happened. And then on top of that, while he was on the cross, To make sure he was dead, because you remember they were going to go break his legs to hasten him dying. They went, Oh, he's already dead. And they stabbed him in the side with a spear to verify that he was dead. Jesus was well and completely dead. All the evidence points to that. Like I said, the Roman soldiers knew their job. They were going to know if Jesus was dead, because you know what? If he wasn't dead, you know what happens to them? They die. They're going to pay for that mistake. There's no evidence that somehow Jesus merely swooned on the cross because of what he went through. It would have been impossible. Jesus actually died on that cross. So the argument that he got up and ran away is absurd to me. And it doesn't even stop there because if you keep looking, in John 19, 38 through 40, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked uh, Pilate that he may take him away. This is a, a different account of what happened. And Pilate gave him permission. He came and took away his body. And then Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes at about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloth with the spices. And as the burial, it was as the burial custom of the Jews. So we got a couple of things going on here. They're preparing Jesus's body for death. Now, once again, All of these guys that are living in this time, they understand death. The birth rate was so much higher back then because death was a very common part of what they were living through. People knew when people were dead. It's not something where they were shocked. It's not like us. Every single one of these people that lived in that time, I've seen more dead people than anybody in this room. And they understood it. And then they take Jesus and they begin to prepare him for burial. They wrap strips of cloth around him while stuffing him with 75 pounds of spices. This is not insignificant. This is a lot of spices. Can you imagine even being in good health, being wrapped up with that much additional weight, wrapped around you and strapped down, trying to get up from that, trying to get away from that, let alone if you were in the condition of swooning like we just described, which we already determined was impossible anyway. And they acted quickly to get his body prepared because they only had a couple of hours before Sabbath began. They only had a couple of hours, so they begin to act quickly. But that means that they spent at least a couple hours with Jesus, Nicodemus, Joseph, and probably their servants, because they wouldn't have been able to do it alone. Do you think anyone would have noticed if he was still alive? And then even if he did survive, say that he really did swoon, and they wrapped him up because they thought he was dead, they somehow missed that he was still alive, how was he going to get out? You guys know the story. They, they rolled a gigantic stone in front of his tomb. Matter of fact, Mary and Mary, when they came to the tomb, they said, who's going to help us roll away the stone? Because two women didn't have the strength to push away the stone. Matter of fact, the stone would have laid in a huge groove, rolled up to the side, and it was on a downward slope because it made it easier to roll it into place. Now, how is Jesus in the condition that he's at going to somehow break out of the wrappings with all that additional weight of spices on him and then push the stone out of the way? It would be impossible. But there's more arguments than, than, okay, maybe he didn't swoon. I think we can safely say the evidence doesn't support even a little bit that Jesus just passed out and made his way out of the tomb. So what's one of the other arguments you've probably heard? His body was stolen. Anybody ever heard somebody stole his body? Well, I want you to know that there's, there's, the evidence doesn't stack up against this one either. It doesn't make any sense. Matthew 27, 60 through, 62 through 66 says, The next day that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by stealing the stone and setting a guard. Like I said, they said, oh no, maybe the the body was stolen. Okay, he didn't swoon. Maybe the, the, the body of Jesus was stolen and taken away. So, we look at the story. The Jewish leaders are a little bit concerned. They, they remember Jesus saying that he was going to rise in three days. So, they, they wanted to make sure that this couldn't possibly happen. So, they go to Pilate. Pilate says, You know what? You have a guard of Roman soldiers. Take these Roman soldiers, put them on guard in front of the tomb. And then they also seal the tomb as well. Now, the seal that they would have put on it, this was a, a sign of authentication that the tomb was occupied and the power and the authority of Rome stood behind. The seal. And anyone found breaking this Roman seal would suffer the punishment of an unpleasant death. But first off, anybody that's even willing to go against this, they have to go against Roman soldiers who have already said are good at their job, right? They're up guarding the tomb because that's what they were told to do. They've also sealed it. So now whoever is going to come in, they have to be able to overpower the guards. They need to break the seal. They need to have the strength to roll the stone away.
1: And that seems like a pretty
0: hard task to do. This is not something, I would say it's not impossible, but it's certainly uh, a a very big task that somebody's going to have to overcome. Because the Roman soldiers, they're just not going to leave. Because in the army today in the United States, if you go AWOL, if you leave your post and you get court martialed, then you can do time in prison. In the Roman army, if you went AWOL and you left your post, you died. There was no other option. They killed you for, for running away. You didn't have the option. So we know that the, the, the Roman soldiers didn't just get up and leave because, they're one, they're good at their job, and if they would have just got up and leave, they would have been killed. Punishable by death. But that's the thing. Against all these odds, against all these unlikely circumstances, the tomb still ended up empty. It still ended up with the stone rolled away, and Jesus was not in sight. Luke. 24, 8 through 12 says, And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And that was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. And every now I'm reading this, I can't get the idea of the kids out of the head what we just watched I see them saying these things. But in verse 11 it says, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, because they didn't believe them. and But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened here's the thing they the next day the tomb is empty like we said against all odds and the ladies go and they see that jesus is not there they run back and tell the disciples the disciples take off down there and they look inside the tomb and something interesting to know why i wanted to look at this scripture is what it says is he saw the linen clothes by themselves I remember I read a, a couple of books on apologetics. I actually really enjoy reading about this stuff and the evidence for God, the evidence for Christ, and, and all of these things, the authenticity of the New Testament um, and the Old Testament, for that matter. But, and I don't remember if this was in The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel or if this was in uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict by um, Joshua McDowell. I don't remember which one, but the author noted the significance of the way the clothes were described in the Gospel. They were just laying there. They weren't torn apart. They weren't strewn about. The cloth that would have been over his face lay neatly folded. Matter of fact, the author of the, the book said that, that the way that it's described here in, in the in the Gospels, and I'll take their word at it because they're smarter than I am, but they say that it gives the impression that the body was just removed and the clothes just folded down to where they were. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't think it has to be to even make this case. But what we do know and what is true is that they weren't strewn about. They weren't tossed to the side. Now, if somebody was going to come in and steal the body, you got Roman guards outside, maybe you just won. Maybe they called the alarm. Maybe some people are watching. Who's going to take the time to unwrap Jesus, neatly fold the cloth and lay it down on on the bench in there, and then make off with his body? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, the evidence is not there for someone stealing his body. And we know that, that this whole idea that, that, that the body being stolen, it was actually started and it's recorded in the Bible, Matthew 20 to 11 through 15. And we read a, a different account earlier. But while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests that it had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if he comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. From the beginning, they were saying the body was stolen by by the disciples. This is not an old rumor. This is not an old story that we have to debunk. But there's serious problems with this idea of the body being stolen. One, like I said, the Roman soldiers wouldn't have let this happen. Matter of fact, the Roman soldiers now are in a mess. They don't know what they're gonna do. So they're talking to the Jews they're like, Listen, we'll we'll try to keep you safe from the government. Governor, just take this money and tell the story. And I, I wonder, I'm gonna have to do some research if there's any if there's any more to this. Did they did they survive? Did they get away? Or were they killed for being derelict in their duties? Because it just happened wasn't gonna be an excuse to their superiors. Like I said, the, the Roman soldiers wouldn't let this happen because they would have been killed. That's why they needed the protection with the governor in the first place. Like I said, the cloth the cloth were, were talked about. They were laid neatly. They weren't tossed to the side. And we saw the ladies, uh, the Mary and Mary, when they came down, it says that they were in awe. They marveled what had happened. And even the disciples, we saw Peter marvel. They were all shocked that this happened. So they were either faking shock, which is unlikely, and I'll explain in a few moments why that's unlikely they were faking shock, or they were genuinely shocked at what had happened. None of them expected this. Jesus told them multiple times that he was going to die and raise again, but they all were completely wrecked and defeated when this happened. The disciples were rocked to the very core. They were defeated. They were depressed. The man that they had put all their hope and faith and they followed him was dead. They thought he was the Messiah and they thought this was proof that he must not have been because he was killed. They were defeated, depressed, rocked to the core. They certainly wouldn't have been able to, to go against a Roman guard. But then we find out later that the disciples, they. Give their life for Jesus. They give their life for the story of the resurrection. Why would they? Why would they give their life for something that wasn't true? It's an interesting question to ask. Okay, well maybe it wasn't the disciples that stole the body. That's pretty good evidence that there's no way that they did it. Say it was the Jewish leaders. Maybe they stole the body. They wanted to to, to hide the body so that way that uh, uh, there couldn't be any. Any they wanted to deal with this problem of Jesus raising from the dead, they're going to steal it and make sure there's no proof for that. The thing is, if it was the Jewish leaders, why didn't they just produce the body later when they saw that it was a mess? When everybody was following Jesus, they Christianity could have been stopped in its tracks at the beginning if somebody would have just came up with the body of Jesus at any moment. Or maybe it was the Roman soldiers. Maybe for some reason they were going to steal the body right? They're the only ones that, I mean, if they all decided they were going to do it, but once again, why? One, they would have been killed for dereliction of duty. Two, uh, what was happening at this point, say it was at, at the order of command, say Pilate told them to do it or whoever told him to do it, say it was at their order of command. The problem was is Christianity started making a ruckus and a commotion in Roman society. People were converting to Christianity and it was a problem. You want to know how you stop that? You show the body of Jesus. If you have it, you just show it and say, no, he didn't rise from the dead. Christianity is a farce. There's no evidence to it. Here's his body. But you know how many people produced his body? Nobody. It wasn't
1: there. He rose again. And the
0: disciples themselves also are proof that his resurrection is real. Luke 24, 13 through 21 says that very day, two of them were going to a village named uh, MOS, maybe that's how that's pronounced, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cliff answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know things that have happened there in these days? You know, this is an interesting line here as well. I'm not going to go too much into it today, but he says, are you the only visitor here that doesn't know what happened these days? You know, when the gospels were written, the people that were there were still alive. The thing is, is they would have looked at this and said, these guys are crazy. They're making stuff up. I was there. This isn't what happened. We don't have any record of that in secular or non-secular writings that the gospels were ever contested. And they were all written very early to Jesus' death. Within 30 years or so, I believe, all of them were written, some sooner and some later. But nope, the, everybody that was there was still alive. They could have, re, they could have uh, debunked it right then and say, I was there, this is what happened, but there's no record anywhere that that actually happened. He says, are you only the visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, Mighty indeed were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified them, crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day. These things happen. We have the disciples are walking up the road. The Bible says that they look sad. They were defeated. They were depressed. Why? because they thought he was the Redeemer of Israel. They thought he was their Savior. They thought he was their Messiah, and he was killed. He says, we had hoped that he was the one. These guys were a wreck. They had placed everything that they had to follow him. They gave up their jobs. They gave up everything. They walked away to follow him, and now they're depressed because he died. He wasn't who they thought he was. At least that's what they thought at the time. We know the rest of the story. They find out very quickly that they're actually talking to Jesus. But they, they're broken. They're, they're disheartened. They have, they're, I mean, we know that, that Peter was so distraught, he denied Jesus three different times. He says, I don't even know him. He was broken. But the disciples turn around. The idea that they actually turn around is evidence of the resurrection. Because what would cause such broken, defeated, disheartened men to rally and spread Christianity throughout all the land? What would cause them to go to? We're sad. We hot thought that he was the one to banding together, even at the risk of their life. Did you know that that eleven of the the twelve apostles were martyred? They were killed for their faith. John's the only one that aren't, and we know this from both uh, from from secular writings. Not even the the gospels don't talk about. Uh, I think just James is mentioned in the Gospels. Um, but we know that they're all, they're all martyred.
1: But why would they do that?
0: If you're in this state, you're defeated, you're, you're, your leader, the one you followed is, is, is no longer alive, he's not who you thought he was, what would cause you to give your life for this lie? Because at this point, if it's not real, then you know it's a lie. You know that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You know that everything you're saying is a lie. And they have you up. They're getting ready to, some of them were were hung upside down on crosses. They were they were killed. They were stabbed. All kinds, of, all they had to do was say, you know what? We recant. We're not, you know, whatever you say, we're just going to, you know, we, we made it up. But none of them do. They all go to their graves standing for this. What would cause men to give their lives to this other than Jesus showed himself to them? Other than seeing Jesus, what would cause them all to behave this way? Not a single one of the disciples recant. In Romans 6, 3-5, through once again I want to end today with the importance of the resurrection. You see, we've gone through today just some of the evidence for the re- resurrection, the, uh, the reasons why this actually happened. This is a historical event. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't something that is made up. This isn't legend. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical event that's well documented and has very weighty, substantial evidence to show that it happened. You know, Joseph, Jesus didn't just show himself to the disciples. He showed himself to 500 disciples together. In order for them all to see the same thing, the only thing that we know of today that causes that kind of mass hallucination is mind-altering drugs. And there's no evidence that that's what the disciples were doing. There's not a shred of evidence that's actually what's going on. So they all saw Jesus, 500 of them together. There's nothing I could do up here this morning to make you all convinced you saw the exact same thing, and there's only a handful of us. How do you get 500 people to see and experience the same thing? In addition, like I said, when the gospel was written, the people that were involved, they are still alive. Any one of them could have said, you know what? This didn't happen. You all are a bunch of liars. But there's no writings. There's no indication that anybody discounted what the gospel said. There's no writings that anybody discounted that Jesus rose from the dead in that time period. The thing is, the disciples, they weren't fools, and they weren't liars. They weren't fools because they knew when a person was dead. They weren't dumb. They've all experienced this. They weren't tricked into thinking that Jesus rose from the dead. And they weren't liars because lying cost them their life.
1: They had an experience. They believed wholeheartedly in the resurrection of Jesus. But here's the thing.
0: Belief that the resurrection happened is good, but it's not good enough. The resurrection is important. Romans 6, 3-5 through 5 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That means that by faith we die with him, as we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have for if we have been reunited with him in death like this, we shall certainly be reunited, be reunited with him in a resurrection like this. That's the thing. The resurrection for Christians is the pinnacle of our faith. It is what we put our faith in. Is it our, our hope? And that's what we believe, that, that we died with Jesus by faith. And then we rise again to newness of life with them by faith as well. That's what baptism is about. That's why we do full water submersion baptism here because it's a representation. When you go under the water, it's a representation of you dying with Christ. And when we pull you back out of the water, it's a representation of you rising again to newness of life. And like I said, believe that the resurrection happened is good. I think there's so much historical evidence, eyewitness evidence for or the, the the resurrection happening, it's, it's unbelievable to me how much they're actually it. We have eyewitness evidence of people that were there. In every court of law right now, eyewitness evidence is good evidence. They'll accept it in a court of law. And we have that. But like I said, belief that it did happen is not enough. You know, the scripture says that the demons believe and they shudder. You know how many demons are getting into heaven? not a single one. They believe, they know that God is real, but they're not saved. They can't put their faith in him. You see, not only do we have to believe that it happened, we have to believe in Jesus. And if you're already a believer, I hope this encourages you that Jesus really did live, Jesus really did die, and that Jesus really did rise again. Your faith is not placed in a fairy tale. The next time somebody says you have blind faith or that you're just believing in nonsense, listen to this again. Write it down. You have more evidence that this really happened than they have that it didn't. If you're not a believer this morning, I hope this helps you to understand that Jesus isn't a myth. That his resurrection wasn't a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a tale. It really did happen. And if Jesus really did live and He really did die and He really did rise from the grave, as all the evidence demonstrates that He did, is that enough to spur you to put your trust in Him? Because He is who He says He is and He did what He said that He would do. If He did this, can you put your trust in Him for salvation? Can you put your trust in Him for newness of life? I hope if you're not a believer that you can make that decision and know that you're not doing it in a fairy tale or a legend or a myth. But you're placing your trust in a God who loves you more than you can ever imagine. he loved you so much that he sent his son, he sent himself to go on that cross and endure just, i give you a brief glimpse into what he endured for you. The scripture says that he despised the shame for the joy put before him. You are the joy put before him. God loved you that much that he gave up everything so that you could be forgiven, that you could be free, that you could be made whole, that you could be made brand new. Can you trust him? Can
1: you accept this free gift of salvation?